Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq El Amin, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if this is your first time tuning in to the program, welcome. We're on every evening from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. Make sure you make your way by RadioIslam.com to check out all of our previous uh, episodes. You can check out guest bios and pictures and basically stay up to date with the program there. Uh, also, stay connected to us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. So follow and like our pages. Uh, last but not least, for all of you who enjoy uh, listening at your own um, at your own uh, leisure, right? Then you want to definitely subscribe to the podcast. So you will find us wherever you get yours at. We are definitely on SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcast, and TuneIn. Yes, definitely on those platforms and many others and you will find us at radio islam usa and we're always interested to hear your opinions on the topics that we cover the gut the guests that we have uh so feel free to inbox us dm us or even just drop us a line at producer at radio islam.com that's producer at radio islam.com all right so today we've got we're going to be covering a few different bases today and uh we want to start out with the uh, the government shutdown. So most of you know, right? It's kind of hard not to know this because this has been most of the conversation uh, in, you know, on the news for over a month now. The United States government has been shut down for uh, the longest period of time uh, in its history. Now, some of you, some of you might recall that there was a shutdown in 2013 that lasted for 16 days. And actually there was another uh, under our current administration, which uh, took place last year, 2018, and lasted for four days. But as has been pointed out on the news uh, during this current shutdown that we're in right now, that there are 800,000 federal employees, uh, not to mention contractors and vendors, uh, which pushes that number up you know, significantly. But as far as just employees, there are 800,000 federal employees uh, that are impacted by this shutdown and all of whom have missed or are missing their second paycheck uh, during the shutdown. Now, of the uh, of that 800,000, there are a significant number with critical agencies and critical responsibilities that pertain to uh, life in particular, protection, things like that, that are considered essential employees. So we're talking FBI, U.S. Marshals, uh, Bureau of Prisons, uh, TSA officers, and air traffic controllers, uh, to name uh, some of those that fall under, under that essential employee designation. So these are folks who are still required or expected to show up for work, perform their duties, and go home without a check. Right? That's a really... I mean, that that's a real that that sucks. OK, I mean, there's there's no way to uh, to really uh, to, to sugarcoat that. I mean, that's just a terrible situation for them to be in. But among those who are considered uh, essential employees, as, as we mentioned, the aviation workers. Right. That's air traffic control. And of course, I think there's a segment of support staff that goes along with making sure that 
that that the flights can take place. Um, recently, a group of aviation workers gathered at the Flint Bishop Airport, protesting the shutdown. Not knowing when the next paycheck is coming that actually has money in the bank is, it's hard to plan for your budget. It's hard to plan for how you're gonna pay the bills. You know, mortgage payments due on the first, car payments due on the 10th, uh, insurance payment on the 18th. You know, I've got bills spread out across the month every month because I budget for that money coming in and then money going out. Well, when that money isn't coming in and they still want the money going out, it's an additional stress on the family. My wife's at home working overtime today on the holiday to help make up for the shortfall of me not having a paycheck right now. You know, she shouldn't have to do that. But we've made commitments, you know, the things that we purchased, and we hold our commitments. We want the government to do the same for us. So I'm out here just to help make people aware that, I mean, we're not really a bargaining chip, you know, they're, it's real people without, they're not getting paid but still have to come to work. Definitely not putting as much away in our savings as we normally would. Granted, I'm fortunate enough right now that my wife is still working, but in another few weeks, she's gonna be out on maternity leave, and we're not gonna have anything coming in then. I was able to pay all my bills for the month of January. I don't know what I'm gonna do for the month of February. Um, some creditors are offering to, you know, you know push the payment. In some are, you know. So the ones that are going to be late, if you, you know, not having the money to pay them, yeah, you're not only facing, you know, um, late fee, but you're also going to take a hit to your credit. Which, you know, even if the bill is passed to pay us our back pay, it's not going to make up for, you know, the late fees in the hits to my credit that will take years to undo. For a job that I'm coming to every day, um, it's time to stop the shutdown, quit using us as pawns, and hot, held hostage in this, you know, argument in Washington. Uh, they're being used uh, really by the president as pawns, or really almost like hostages. Uh, the president is unwilling to submit his ideas to the legislative process without to underscore the, the impact of the shutdown on those employees. Um, average household emergency funds. That's been a big part of the conversation now on most of our news outlets. Uh, recently, a CNBC report from 2018 indicated that 55 million Americans had no emergency fund whatsoever. 55 million. That's a big number. And according to a CNN report, 40% of Americans couldn't cover an unexpected $400 expense. Now, when we think about a federal, state, or city job, or uh, one of the things that comes to mind for most of us uh, is stability. You know you're going to get your check on the 1st and the 15th or whatever your pay schedule is. And uh, in general, you're going to get a decent wage. And more importantly, a wage you can depend on, which means that over time, you are more likely to be one of those people or families that can absorb a $400 emergency, right? Can absorb a unexpected $400 expense. So it's likely that given enough time, you'll have that emergency fund. Not guaranteed, but likely. Anyway, it makes absolute sense to me that folks would be protesting, right? They should be. 
right? Especially those who are expected to continue showing up to work and leave without a check. That sounds a lot like uh, like slavery or, or slavery-ish to me, All right? People should be paid for their labor, plain and simple. So we hope that this is resolved sooner rather than later and all the employees are trying to figure out how to keep their households afloat, uh, get the relief that they deserve because bills still have to be paid. Right? If you got a car note, you got a mortgage, you got rent, uh, you have school tuition, you got groceries. Uh, and, and within all of this, there's a picture being painted of you to, uh, to lenders through your credit score. And for a lot of folks, this may put them uh, in a position where their credit scores begin to drop. Uh, and for some, it may be that it's going to take a really long time for them to recover from that. You know, we don't know. But what I do know is that most folks out here, regardless of, you know, if they have a, a state job, federal job, city job or whatever, most folks out here are living check to check. And to miss two, to miss two checks that is hard. That's difficult. That can be that can be life changing for some people. Right. That could be the difference between uh, having a roof over your head and having to move in with family. If you are so fortunate to have a support system. It can be the difference between having a roof over your head and going to a shelter. If you are so fortunate to have a shelter within the vicinity available to you as a as a possibility or going from a roof over your head to being homeless. And that's not any hyperbole uh, at all. That's a uh, that that that's reality. So for a lot of people, this is what is on the table for them. So um, I think uh, the, one of the gentlemen mentioned in the clip that his wife is picking up uh, extra extra work right now. Um, it puts a strain on people. Uh, it puts people in positions where uh, they really don't know how they're going to uh, respond, how they're going to keep moving forward. And there's a lot of uncertainty. And if there's anything that you don't want when you've got to pay bills, you don't want uncertainty. You want to have some uh, you want to have an idea as to how you're going to get things done, how you're going to keep food on the table, how you're going to keep your, your children taken care of, all the good stuff. Anyway. There is one agency that I've got to talk about that really does not for me. And, it, you know, this is just me talking uh, that does not garner as much sympathy. Uh, and that is the TSA. Now, I stumbled across a video of a Florida based journalist and Harvard grad student, Zainab Merchant, who happens to wear hijab, head covered. And she detailed her experience with the TSA while flying to Canada on vacation uh, with their family. It was just very, very traumatic. They opened up everything. They removed everything, my, my bras, my underwear. They just would like hold it up. They would go through it. And I literally at that moment, I wanted to like, I remember I just wanted to melt into a puddle because it's just so humiliating. At the grand scheme of things, we just looked back and said that we wish you had never taken this trip. You never know if you're gonna ever make your flight. 
you're gonna miss it if you're gonna if they're gonna take you in the back room and ask you questions um, or if they're even gonna arrest you one day I, I won't even be surprised if that happens um, I just have to be prepared if you don't speak up they will and they'll change your story so that's what I'm trying to do Now, I'm not saying I wish anyone ill, but I am saying that Zainab's experience uh, and the experience of many others like her, the experiences that we will never hear about, make this particular agency and specifically their policies, the way that they operate, the way that they engage with the public, puts them at the bottom of my list of cares. So my own personal experience uh, and observation of them has, uh, for the most part, has not endeared them to me in any shape, form or fashion. Now, I recognize that there's always uh, there's always going to be that exceptional officer or two. Uh, there's always going to be that diamond in the rough. But as a whole, in my experience, I have found them largely to be rude and dismissive. My experience, I found them to be rude and dismissive. And they treat people like, like, uh, like, like cattle. And it's, <laughs> I always, um, I always have to laugh at this, but it is just funny how a little money or a little authority can really bring out the worst in people. Money or authority, money or power. They have a tendency to really let you know who a person is. Uh, and sometimes it turns that person to, into a, a whole lot of, uh, a lot of jerk. Yeah. That's, that's the nice radio friendly, uh, uh, description. Yes. A whole lot of jerk. Now I'll tell you this each time my wife and I have traveled without fail, without fail, she is chosen for extra screening. So my wife also wears hijab, the head covering, uh, which is uh, inspected, right? Somebody comes along, they want to expect that they normally get a, a female TSA officer. And they then they go on to check her for what I assume is explosive residue or whatever, because they turn her wrist over, have her open her hands up. Uh, and eventually, after they've gone through this whole dog and pony show, she's cleared uh, and she's let through. But the public spectacle of it, this is for me, is this what makes it all too apparent for me that the main function or one of the main functions of the TSA in their interaction with the public is to promote a public mistrust of Muslims. Now, even though, even though, and we, we've talked about on the program even though the vast majority, over 90%, you know, kick it up past 93%, past 95%, 90 of the attacks that have taken place, violent attacks, uh, if we're talking mass shootings or whatever, that have taken place in the United States have been committed by, certainly not by hijab-wearing uh, Muslim women, certainly not by thobe-wearing beard having or kufi wearing uh, Muslim men or certainly not by those who at, at a glance 
right? If you, you look at them and you would think these people ethnically look like they belong to uh, the Muslim religion, if these are adherents of Islam, and of course, that's an even larger conversation as to who gets to physically look like, who is the representation of Islam. All right, that's that's an even broader conversation. But no, it's none of those folks. It has been, it's been white men. And not necessarily want to say white Christian men, right? Because you couldn't be a good Christian and still and go out and do the kind of insanity that's been um that has been perpetrated. You know, we talk about mass school shootings and, and things like that, uh, or going into churches and killing people or into synagogues and killing people. These have been committed by white men. But when you're in a public space, particularly when you're trying to travel as a Muslim, a visible Muslim, um, if you got a hijab on or whatever, you got something that is going to be taken as an identifying marker of a Muslim, you are signaled uh singled out and the whole show is put on and it's about nothing more than reinforcing this idea this stereotype that muslims are dangerous that muslims are a threat to public safety and when it and by it i mean that suspicion that bias is given free reign and sanctioned by agencies acting on behalf of the federal government, our federal government, who in turn are supposed to be acting on behalf of and in the interest of we, the people, it sends a sign that we as Muslims are not of the people. So for that reason, I have nothing for the TSA as a whole. I have nothing. Now, it may seem contradictory, but I certainly do wish the men and women who, like myself, have families to take care of, who certainly deserve to be paid for the work that they do, even if part of that work is in some ways, in many ways, harmful to part of the public that they're supposed to be serving. We're going to take a short break. This is Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM. You might know me, I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, 
you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Kalameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. And remember, folks, uh, if you are just tuning in, keep up with us on social media. Follow and like our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, so subscribe, rate, and review. We're on TuneIn, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. And last but not least, be sure to stop by RadioIslam.com. You can check out guest bios and pics and articles and just a bunch of stuff that you're only going to be able to find at RadioIslam.com. All right, family. One of the things that I am really, really pleased to be associated with uh, through uh, Radio Islam, through Sound Vision, is the Crisis Text Line. Uh, many of you know that we unveiled that last year uh, as an effort to respond to Muslims' need for um, for assistance when it comes to mental health. So Sound Vision launched the Crisis Text Line, which is a 24-7 operation. We've been working uh, on that for quite a while, but we have several trained volunteers that are in place and ready to assist those who are dealing with anxiety or depression. There are still volunteer opportunities available for those who like to serve as counselors and receive training. Uh, you can go to soundvision.com to get more information on that. But for those who have not heard about it, the crisis text line, you simply have to text SALAM to 741741. That's text S-A-L-A-M to 741741. Now, I mentioned that because this really is a very easy and natural segue into uh, uh, th this next conversation. And that is about the importance of mental health, mental and emotional well-being. We have on the line to talk with us Wahaj Khan. He is the youth director of Sound Vision, and he is here to talk with us about a really important mental health conference that's coming up. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome, salam, brother. How you doing, man? Alhamdulillah. All good. All good. So this uh, this mental health conference that's coming up. Um, one of the things that I'm really I'm really passionate about is holistic health. Uh, you know, I've been mm -hmm. dieting, trying to work out. But then the other thing that we think about is our emotional, our mental health, mental well-being. So I'm excited that Sound Vision is, is doing this. Could you tell me, how, how did this particular conference come about? Definitely, definitely, man. So uh, just like you talked about, holistic health, mental health, and if I may add, third category mm -hmm. is our spiritual health, mm -hmm. right? So that has a direct connection to our mental health as well. So uh, this idea kind of came along uh, also with our work through Crisis Text Line. We saw that um, that mental health is a big issue and how many people are reaching out and how um, we need a sort of a community event to um, gather information and for us to learn how to help one another out and navigate through the challenges of this life in this world. But what really sparked uh, the fire within me is a few months ago, I think it was about a year ago, you might have heard of this Imam Tariq. There was a man who actually committed suicide mm. uh, uh, right in front of the Kaaba in, uh, in, in the Haram. Mm. I, I don't know if you ever heard of it, uh, no. if you heard of the story. 
but um it was a time uh where this man uh, he was a, he was he was from France and he committed suicide on one of the levels where people do tawaf around the Kaaba where people circle uh, circulate around the, the house of God mm-hmm. and he actually um committed suicide from one of the third levels he jumped from there and committed suicide um it was a big talk in the community because people were circulating it through WhatsApp and uh sharing the video but one of the main talks uh, around the video was that how can this happen? How could someone be in such a holy site, in a holy place, and feel the urge to do such a thing? Right. So uh, in my mind, that uh, it kind of shocked me that people have this type of understanding. Because when we, when we learn about the, the seer of the Prophet, the life of the Prophet, mm-hmm. we learn about the challenges that he had and the, and the sorrow that he had. And if the Prophet face sorrow and a type of depression, then who are we to say with people that have all types of high faith or iman mm-hmm. and to judge them and say that if you have high faith or and you're in a pure state or wherever you are, that you won't have any type of depression or conflict in your life or have the have the urge or need to ever commit suicide. Do so, you think, Brother uh, Hodge, let me ask you this. Do you think that that is a common mis, uh, misconception, misperception that because you are Muslim or you say you're Muslim, that mm-hmm. mental health is not something that you're going to have to be mindful of or that you're not going to have to deal with. I think you just pointed out how the prophet, peace mm-hmm. and praise be upon him, how he, you know, that sorrow was something that he contended with. But do you think mm-hmm. currently that that's something that most folks just don't really get or think that you're immune from if you say you're Muslim? Without any doubt, and I feel like people who think that if uh, we have the they have the stigma that if we are praying five times a day, and we're steady with our with our with fasting in Ramadan, and uh, we're consistent with our prayers again, and uh, even if we're praying at night for the Hajj the night prayer, um, that we won't face any type of hardship in our life. But you know this, uh, but this life is a is a test and is meant to be hard. So for those of us that either that are close to God, mm-hmm. or uh, have have high faith, we're still going to go through a harsh test as well. So um, this, the stigma basically is, is that in, in, our, in our community, in the Muslim community in general, is that just because you have, have faith doesn't mean that you go through tough trials and tribulations, as did the Prophet as well. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so as far as the mental health conference that's coming up, what are some of mm-hmm. the uh, some of the key goals or outcomes mm-hmm. that uh, that you're looking mm-hmm. to to achieve? Mm-hmm. So basically, what I uh, what I'm trying to do is break it down into three categories. Mm-hmm. So the first um, category that we want to touch on is about the digital age that we live in, mm-hmm. and right. So uh, how does social media affect our relationships, and how we f- how we feel like we can find instant gratification. Through through online, but um, uh, but the, is that really the reality? So, for example, for a lot of us, the issue is is that we accept mental health is real, and it's kind of sort of become like a pretty hip vibe that like, hey, mental health is real, uh, like we should support this and stuff like that. But say, if like if I'm the type of person where like I support mental health and I believe it's real, but then something bad happens to me, my father passed away, my grandmother passed away. Instead of feeling sorrow and letting that feeling sink in and feeling reflection, I might just go on my timeline and let it scroll and let it be a distraction for me, you know? Mm. So the fact that a lot of us might accept that mental health is real, 
and we are at the stage like where we don't have the stigma how are are we still finding an escape are we still avoiding it because social media is a big effect of, of that in our lives today and it's a big effect on our relationships so one category is how social media is affecting our relationships and then secondly um looking at the looking at the life of the prophet and his sorrow you know so um we we talk about the challenges that he faces that he never met his he was fatherless never met his father lost his mother lost his grandfather all at the age of eight mm-hmm. eight years old so uh who are we to say that he didn't face any hardship or sorrow in his life you know especially the revelations that would come to him uh god Allah, put him through tests that uh none of us have been through but you know th- those are the tests of his time so kind of looking at the prophet's mental health what was his state, you know? Mm. And then in the end, basically making the connection of how our spiritual and uh, uh, mental, spiritual and mental wellness all has a, a direct connection, you know? Right. And from there, what are the first steps that we can take? So sometimes if you have a lack of faith or anything like that, you might want to seek some, some type of counseling from an imam or talk to them and, and uh, so he can help you throughout your spiritual journey, you know? Right. But then also taking the first step, if you have any type of, uh, in your in the journey of just your life in general, any disruptions, any distractions, that it's okay to see someone, it's okay to talk to someone, it's okay, to, and it's always appropriate to to seek out uh, to seek out help from a professional, and that's why Sound Vision has invested in the services of Crisis Text Line is to help not only the youth, uh, but to help the the uh, the community in general. Mm-hmm. to to use this resource and to accept that mental health is real. Mm. One one of the things that um, I guess I could add is uh, just a, a thought as far as health is concerned, mental health, emotional health, spiritual mm-hmm. health, whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. We generally have indexes. We have um, an index of where we fall on a particular performance chart. And that's kind of, uh, it, it's kind of a representation of our health. You know, if you can do, if you can mm-hmm. run a nine minute mile, then you mm-hmm. can, you know, you, you qualify for a certain, a lower insurance, life insurance rate. Uh, if you can bench mm-hmm. press 225 pounds um, a certain number of times, then that's favorably looked on. You know, I'm thinking sports wise, like NFL combine, right? But okay. when it comes to our mental health and our, our spiritual health, mm-hmm. we, we, we should definitely assume that there's going to be a point in life there are going to be circumstances mm-hmm. where that health is going to have is going to be proven, and mm-hmm. to to go to the point you mentioned, you know, life, life, life has its difficulties, right? Life mm-hmm. has its difficulties, and you don't know if you prepare for those difficulties, or you should at least prepare for them, I should say, uh, and really invest in the health. So, what's one of the other, uh, what's one of the other uh, points that you're you're looking to get out of this? You mentioned. Uh, social media and how that's often a distraction when it comes to dealing and processing with uh, with difficulties for some people. Mm-hmm. I think um, with with that they can talk about where it goes into our relationships. Mm-hmm. So um, so how like when we see like someone happy on our timeline, right? And mm-hmm. we expect that we should have the same happiness as well. Mm-hmm. Well, of course that person, whoever is happy on our timeline or in, uh, in our Instagram or our Snapchat, whatever, yeah. they have some difficulties or challenges in their life behind the screen, you know? Mm-hmm. And just as you do as well with whoever your significant other is or anything like that. So 
um, the 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 re- to really for people to understand the reality that a lot of the stuff that you see on social media, people will share the good. But a lot of the times, if some people go through challenges in life, they won't really share those the hardships that they face, right? Right. So it's to give a to, really to give a strong understanding for those that those couples uh, that uh, that are in line with social media to understand that. You know, at times this can be a red flag, but the, at the end of the day, it's the, in the digital era we live in, um, it's, 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 it shouldn't be, you know, that we shouldn't be on social media, but we should be aware of the harm that it could do. Mm-hmm. So um, that's uh, for, especially, I think, uh, like, you know, for someone who recently got married, mm-hmm. uh, I now understand that, like, the, the importance of how the, your partner's happiness has a big impact on your happiness as well. Oh yeah. So, um, so uh, for uh, for for couples to have a, a great greater understanding of that, and for us uh, as a Muslim community to have uh, built better relationships in our marriages, and for something that's kind of overlooked, and I'm sure as an imam you deal with that as well. That you know, marriage counseling and couples counseling is a huge issue, mm-hmm. and definitely social media has a has a big impact on that as well. Oh yeah, it definitely is a it's a distractor, or it can be a distraction for mm-hmm. uh, for people who don't use it or don't realize, um, who don't realize some of the pitfalls uh, that can be with it. And I'm certainly not one to tell people, you know, don't use mm-hmm. social media, but to absolutely, definitely be absolutely. to be responsible about it because those DMs can get you in trouble. Having folks, you know, side messaging you uh, and yeah. losing point to the uh, of the. A very important point that you mentioned about the importance of your your spouse's happiness, how that yes. being directly tied to your own. Um, yes. Yeah. So that that that's definitely critical. Can you talk to us a, a bit about the um, who are some of the the, the partners and folks that mm-hmm. are helping to bring this um, conference to fruition? Absolutely. So, of course, we're gonna we're working with two MSAs. We're working with the UIC MSA mm-hmm. and the Benedictine University MSA. So the event is at Benedictine University in the Daniel L. Goodwin Hall of Business uh, in Lyle, Illinois, mm-hmm. um, on February sixteenth from twelve thirty to five thirty p.m. Um, so basically, the those are the two MSAs that are working with us uh, that are. Uh, gathering that are doing the marketing for the event and gathering people to come together and their MSAs are all coming together to join us for the event, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're also working with this beautiful organization called Khalil Center that does amazing work. Uh, Khalil, oh, Center yeah. is a, Khalil Center is a Zakat Foundation project. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, Khalil Center is a social and spiritual community wellness center, and it's designed to address issues of therapy and counseling uh, with the spiritual aspect for the Muslim community. So they have different locations all throughout the country. They have a location in the Bay Area. They have a location here in Glen Allen, Illinois. They have one office in the city as well. Um, and they have multiple offices throughout the, um, throughout the country that I can't remember right now. Mm-hmm. But they do amazing work. And we're, we're using the services of their professionals uh, for people like uh, Dr. Human, uh, Dr. Fahad Khan, uh, Dr. Sabah and uh, Dr. Iman, um, who have tons of experience in counseling and therapy and understand the needs of the Muslim community. And they really helped us uh, put the program together for us to really understand what the community needs are at this time Mm -hmm. and how we can address them. 
So um, shout out to Khalil Center and shout out to BUMSA, Benedictine University MSA, and shout out to UIC MSA for um, not only gathering people uh, for this event, but really um, accepting that you know this is an issue that needs to be discussed and putting uh, like work into it, you know, which is very important. And I'm glad that uh the msas are actually doing it because it shows that we have a bright future you know so mm-hmm. if the msas are involved in it from this point people that are involved in it from this point and they're doing work about uh such a heavy topic i'm sure they have um the ability to do even greater work in the future inshallah god willing inshallah inshallah i've, I've got to ask um is this is there a cost associated with this event this this uh, event is absolutely free. So you just got to come, sit down, benefit, be amazed, go home, and get your mental and spiritual wellness on check. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> what, one, more, mm-hmm. one more thing. Um, because I, I think oftentimes there is an assumption when we talk about social media, mm-hmm. this digital age, that we are kind of closing the door on uh, our, our seniors um, mm-hmm. but this is a conference when I understand this is actually open for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course we took in the help from MSA. So we have like the, the power of the youth behind us. Right. But, um, but we also have to recognize that, uh, many old people uh, who have more of the stigma in our community mm-hmm. of mental health, um, whether they accept it or not, they are in dire need of it, you know? Yeah. So, um, uh, invite. So, for all the young folks that are listening out there, uh, for those of you who do accept that mental health is real, invite your grandma, invite your grandpa, invite your dad, and invite your father and uncle and auntie, mm-hmm. because whether they accept that this is real or not, uh, this is something that they, they could take a first step to realizing uh, that um, what that this is actually something that's important and realize it. And um, they can absolutely take the first step. And the first step is something, which is a session that we'll discuss as well mm-hmm. at um, the conference as well, inshallah, God willing. Inshallah. I've got to mention as we close out that um, I'm going to go back to the importance of relationships, which you mentioned at the outset of the conversation mm-hmm. on our emotional, mm-hmm. uh, our spiritual health. We are better as individuals when we are also, when we're better collectively. So... This is, um, this is uh, this is a, this is a wonderful wonderful event, and um, yeah, we're looking uh, we're looking for for many more great things to come out, and I'm really happy that this is something that is being pushed by our younger uh, generation because you're not going to be young for long. So <laughs> keep it up, <laughs> keep it up. What you trying to say, Mom? All right, brother Wahaj, I appreciate you um, giving information to the Radio Sound family. Um, Tell them that date again, February what, 16th? February 16th, 2019 at Benedictine University, Danielle L. Goodwin Hall. For the information, please go to www.soundvision.com slash Chicago. Please register. It's absolutely free, and you will not regret it, inshallah. All right, inshallah. All right, with that, Radio Islam family, we're going to take a short break, but we will be back in a moment. This is Radio Islam on WCEV, 1450 AM. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. 
They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we are on. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. Streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We're on SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And basically anywhere else that you're going to get your podcast, look for us at Radio Islam USA. And wherever possible, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, also, stop by RadioIslam.com. Can't emphasize that enough. That is where you're going to find uh, all that behind-the-scenes type of uh, information uh, that you'd be looking for, guest bios, pictures, uh, and just any information about upcoming events uh, that uh, that Radio Islam is going to be hosting or involved with. So, RadioIslam.com. All right, family. Uh, many folks across the uh, the country yesterday were observing King Day honoring the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights icon who implemented the strategy of nonviolent protest and civil agitation. Now, he was not only a master orator, but he was also a master thinker. Uh, He was a master thinker, um, and he put his faith into action, and he envisioned a future which we have not yet arrived at, right? A future where we are healed from the disease of white supremacy and the implied inferiority of every other people. A future where that we are healed from prejudice and bigotry and hatred. And if we were to judge by the current social climate that we find ourselves in, or at least uh, judging by the hot temperaments of some of the current uh, voices that have found a home 
with uh, millions of listeners, of viewers, voices that tell our white brothers and sisters that they are under attack, that immigrants are coming to take their jobs, or voices that say that a star African-American athlete who peaceably draws attention to the killing of unarmed black men in the streets by police during a national football game, as the national anthem is being sung or played, somehow this individual is not an American. Somehow his protest, nonviolent as it is, quiet, somehow his protest is out of place and it is somehow disrespectful. These voices that earn millions of dollars a year, speaking into microphones, looking into cameras, reading from teleprompters, stoking the flames of fear. They do as much today to kill the dream that so many of us eagerly refer to when referencing Dr. King today. They do as much damage as the KKK did in his day. He dreamed of a time where we could measure one another by our character, by our actions. Now, if there's anything from that speech and from all of his speeches that should be a takeaway for us is that there is an unconquerable optimism that is always present. Regardless of present circumstance or history, our future is ours to write. So even while we may have so many who obviously would have been detractors of this man during his lifetime, who today give these half-hearted attempts to lift him up, to point to him as a role model of protest, of resistance. These are also the same people who look at those who emulate that same pattern of conduct and they castigate them today. They put them down today. They demonize them. They say that their protest has no place in the public space. They say that they're asking for more than they're due. So it's really easy to be a supporter of Dr. King and the safety of the present. It's easy to be a supporter when he is no longer here because a lot of the things that he spoke for then the things that he advocated for, that he talked against, are the same things that today's activists that they are speaking for, still asking for, when they bring attention to things like police brutality. These are the same things that he spoke about 50 years ago. So we must remember that his life was not just about that moment. His optimism was not grounded in what would happen in the next hour, the next day. It wasn't just about what he could see. It was about the moments to come. Now, for Muslims, this should be something that is really easy for us to identify with, something easy for us to understand. We have something called the Akhirah, right? This, what comes next. And we think about it as the life to come. But the life to come is not just a spiritual life. It's not just that life that we would associate with the cry or the prayer of the enslaved. As they were given religion, they were given uh, Christianity, they were given the Bible in a sense that they should forego any right 
forego any uh, any type of attachment to a benefit of their labor in this life. They forego all of that and they look for their reward in heaven. That's not what we're talking about. The akhirah, this, this life to come, is not just a spiritual life. It's also a sign of a physical, material life to come. And that's what we work for. That's why we stand firmly for justice. That's why we stand up. And that's why we speak a word to the right. And that's why we pull each other's coattails when we, when we are uh, going off the rails. And that's why our commitment to justice is supposed to be, the, it's supposed to be one that goes beyond the exterior. It goes beyond you look like me, so I'm going to side with you, whatever. I'm going I'm, I'm gonna to always agree with you because we got the same color skin or we speak the same language or we even worship in the same fashion. Our commitment to justice and what really, and I'm probably going off a little bit, but what really uh, gives value, in my opinion, to those who really understand God's admonishment and God's commandment to us in the Quran for us to, to stand firmly for justice, regardless of who is present and regardless of who that justice regardless of who that stance puts us at odds with the value in that is that it really it gives a model for what justice is supposed to look like and it is a model that 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 allows us to to move to a point where when dr king talked about the future that he imagined that that he dreamed of for his for his children or for just any black boy or black little girl, little white boy, little white girl, and them being able to come together and see one another as, as human beings, as individuals. That's only possible when there's an uncompromising position that is placed on justice, an uncompromising position that is given towards fairness, that's given towards equality. That is only possible when we don't let the things that we have been hampered by and we continue to be hampered by come in between us and justice. So a lot of people, a lot of people observe the King holiday by performing some act of community service, which is wonderful. That is a great way to remember him. It's a great way to be remembered, period. But I'm going to say that it's incomplete. And it's incomplete because the healing that Dr. King talked about was also focused on the eradication of poverty, starting with the African-American community from which he came. And there's there's something really funny here. Um, there are some voices who say that to speak about one particular group is to exclude all others. Uh, and there, you know, it's a bit of a convoluted way of thinking uh, and really a backwards way of thinking, because what it does, it allows for those who have been at the bottom to stay at the bottom. It allows for those who have been mistreated to continue to be mistreated because to focus on them according to their logic, the way they see things, it would be to give them somehow special attention. The fact is, and history bears testament to it, 
that our government has given special attention, has given special focus, has invested in the success of its white immigrants. And what Dr. King spoke to before he was assassinated, the mission that he had taken up, the Poor People's Campaign, it was directly focused on giving that same type of support to the African-American people. It was focused directly on realizing uh, some accountability for the disenfranchisement, for the willful and for the active neglect, not just neglect, but for the active um, undermining of a community, of its own citizens. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with, and this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington, in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. So as Dr. King articulated that the U.S. government's role in perpetuating poverty amongst the African-American citizenry of the United States had to be dealt with if justice would truly be done. So before he was able to make it to Washington for the Poor People's Campaign for that march, he was assassinated. But that speech is not one that is uh, that is pointed to. That speech is not one that we hold up and we examine and we make that the goal for our society. But going back to giving special attention, the truth is to any group, the truth is that if you heal or you lift those up who have been pushed down, and you make sure that justice is done to them, then justice will be done for everyone. I don't think that's too hard to, to, to understand. But that is what I remember, and that is what I celebrate of Dr. King. I celebrate that dream, but I also celebrate more than, than the dream. I celebrate the accountability that he was looking to place at the feet of our government. So if you support his memory, if you celebrate his legacy, understand his legacy in its totality. All right, Radio Psalm family, uh, we thank you for joining us for today's program. Mm -hmm.
thank our sponsors, the Cop Foundation U.S. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.